I invite you to turn me to our opening text to Luke chapter 17 in your Bibles. Luke, Matthew, in the New Testament, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 17, verse 28 to 30. Luke chapter 17, verse 28 to 30 is the opening text. Luke 17, 17, 20 to 30. This morning, we're continuing our series that we've been studying. And the series is entitled, Loving You as God Loves You, Relationships God's Way. Now, we all have an idea how to have a relationship, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, to be a husband, a wife, fiance. We all have our own ideas. But this morning, we're going to take a look at what God's way is. You know, I've, in my experience, I've done it my way. And I've learned that I made a lot of mistakes in my life in relationships. And it wasn't until I discovered the beauty of God's way that things finally started going good in my relationship. And I praise God for His Word that has a direction for every aspect of our lives. Amen? Amen. So this morning we're going to be studying from the Word of God. Not, don't believe a word I have to say. I always say that. Don't believe a word I have to say, but believe what the Bible has to say this morning. And what God says and Check for yourself. Don't believe what I have to say about what the Word of God says this morning. The series, the sermon entitled this morning from the series is entitled Passion and Purity. Now we've been studying, going through a series of starting from relationships from the foundation. You build a house, you, you, know, you put the forms and you lay the concrete and you put up the walls and the um, you know, and you put up the, you know, later on you put up the um, truss up there and then the roofing and everything. So you go from the foundation up. So we've been working from the foundation, and today completes our foundation part. We're looking at this sexuality first, because that is the foundation of any relationship. You don't want each other cheating on each other. It just doesn't work that way. So the foundation is sexuality. Um, we looked at sexuality for men and for women. Then we look at players in the game of the love game, and now we're looking at passion and purity. And this is directly, especially for young people this morning. I have a heart for young people, teenagers, preteens especially. And we can always glean a little bit as, even though we're older than this, we can apply it, we're single in our lives, we can apply this even in our marriages, but especially focus upon young people this morning. In order to have a healthy and happy love life, one must first understand sexual purity. The problem today is that no one is teaching anything about it anymore. Parents today who are primarily responsible are not, for one reason or another, are not touching the subject at all. Our schools, even our Christian schools, they're... They're not transferring the moral values to our children anymore. Our churches, you know, classes in the morning and studying the Word, Sabbath school classes, or even from the pulpits, have remained strangely very, very, very silent about this topic. My question is this. If our parents, our teachers, Christian, I'm talking Christian, now we're talking in Christian churches here. But if our parents, our teachers, 
our churches are not teaching our young people about sexual purity, then my question is, who is? Who are they learning it from this morning? I'll tell you who they're learning it from. They're learning all about morality and sexual purity and integrity all from their peers and their friends. Is that not true? Think about it from your own life. I mean, has the mom and dad sit you down and talk to you about clearly from the Word of God, explain the principle, not only explain it, but tell the reason why we believe the same, we, the reason why we do the things we do and tell you all about it? Have you done it to your children? From the Word of God? So this morning as we study the, I call it the lost principles of sexual purity. In today's world, I can truly say lost principles of sexual purity from the Word of God. May we be open to the conviction of God's Holy Spirit this morning. Let us pray. Father, we do humbly ask for your Spirit and that you may lead us as we study your Word and what you want to teach us this morning is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. What was prophesied in the last days in Luke chapter 17, verse 28 to 30, right before Jesus comes, how would the last days, right before Jesus comes, be just like? Luke chapter 17, verse 28 to 30, the Bible says, Likewise also, as it was in the days of who? Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from all heaven, from heaven and destroyed them all. Just as it was in the days of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah where it was destroyed. What they were doing back then is just like verse 30. Even thus shall it be in a day when the Son of Man is revealed. Or the Son of Man of Jesus is revealed in the clouds of glory. Or when Jesus comes back again. So just how it was back then, in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, it will be like here it is in the year 2008 in the United States of America in Pune, Hawaii. So the Bible says. So the question is, how was it back then so we can know what was prophesied it would be like today? Well, let's go back and see how it was back then. Turn to Genesis chapter 19 and let's see what the, let the Bible be its own dictionary and explain itself. Genesis chapter 19, verse 4 and 5. Let's look at the things that happened in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah reaches pinnacle wickedness. So God sent his two messengers to get as much people out of the city before it was going to be destroyed by fire and brimstone. It was going to be destroyed. So in Genesis chapter 19, there are three things in this chapter I want to point out to describe how it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot so we can apply it what was, it would be like today in Hawaii in 2008. The Bible says in 4 or 5, there are three things that happened to describe the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Two angels of God went there to, to warn the city. But notice what happened. They went to Lot's house, and the Bible says, but before they lay down to sleep, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, surrounded the house around, both old and young, from all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot, and said unto him, Where are the men which came into you this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. That we may sleep with them. So all the men surrounding the cities wanted to sleep with these two men who were guests in Sodom and Gomorrah, not realizing that these two men were not men, but actually what? Angels. Angels. And Lot went out 
at the door after, unto them and shut the door after him. So the first thing is that the first thing that happened was that the two angels came to the city and the men of the city, they were so wicked in sexual immorality, they surrounded the city and they wanted to sleep with the angels. Not just men, but angels of God sent to give a divine message. That's how the wicked the city had become. Notice at verse 7, and said, I pray you, brethren, Lot, saying to them, don't do so wickedly. Don't do this thing. Don't do it at all. Behold now, I have... This is the second thing that happened in this short period of time. Behold, I have two daughters which have not known men who are virgins. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you. And do not you do to them, and do to them as good in your eyes, or as you please. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. So, in protecting the two angels, he said, don't do anything to these men, don't do anything to these angels, but instead take my two daughters who are virgins and do whatever that pleases you to do unto them. The second thing happened. Sexual immorality was plagued Sodom and Gomorrah in Lot's day. That's the second thing that happened. Look how wicked the city was. Look at verse 32 and 36. The same chapter in a little short time, they finally escaped the city Lot, and his two daughters escaped the city, 32 to 36. Come, let us make our father drink wine. Okay, this is the two daughters talking to each other about their father. They escaped to the mountain. Then, let us, and we will lie with them. Let let's get them drunk. And we will sleep with our own father. That we may preserve our seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. And he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. And it came to pass on the morrow that the first one said to the younger, Behold, I lay yesterday night with my father. Let us make him drunk, drink wine this night also again. And go thou in and lie with him, and we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their what? Father. You see, the third thing that happened in the days of Sodom and Lot was that the two daughters got their own father drunk and slept with him and had children from their father. What is the common thread through Sodom and Gomorrah in the days of Lot? The prevailing sin in the days of Lot was sexual immorality. That was a prevailing sin. And the Bible predicted that the prevailing sin in the last days before Jesus comes again will be sexual immorality unlike ever before. Is that not true today? Are we not living in a sexually charged, promiscuous society that sex sells in the media, in the movies today, with Hollywood? Isn't that true today as you see it all around even within the last 10 years or even 20 years have we not become more of a sexually charged because the, because the big business out there they know that sex sells and sex makes money you look at those magazine articles what does a half naked woman have to do with a nice car right what does half of a naked woman have to do with this certain um, table or whatever it is it has nothing to do with it. They just know that it attracts attention and sex does sell today. The Bible is true. We're living in a time where 
We have become so immune to sexual immorality, especially my, our generation, that what we see in here today doesn't even phase us today. It doesn't really phase a lot of us this morning. According to Dr. Tim Clinton of American Association of Christian Counselors, they say 67% of women today have committed at least one or more premarital or ex-marital affairs in their lifetime, at least once. And today, honeymoon resorts are now having to provide more and more activities and entertainment for newlyweds who since they didn't wait till they got married, by the time they get to the special honeymoon suite, they found out that they're bored and they want to try different activities because they've done it all before they got married. See, God's people, now I'm not talking about just anyone out there, I'm talking as God's people, we should have higher morality and higher standards. Amen? We shouldn't be, we should be walking our talk. Right? We should, action speaks louder than words. We shouldn't be professing to be good and we're just like everyone else. We should actually be living what we believe and what we talk this morning. Satan uses sexual immorality to accomplish the destruction of God's people, the destruction of God's remnant church. For he knows that if he were to get God's bride, his bride to be sexually immoral, then his protecting hand would be, cease to be over his church. Let's look at an example um, this morning. Turn to me to... Numbers chapter 24, verse 10, in the Old Testament. It goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers chapter 24, verse 10. King Balak was a king of Moab. And what he did was he asked for the prophet Balaam to come, and he hated Israel, God's people at that time. He hated Israel. So he wanted to destroy Israel. But Israel was great at that time. God was with them. And so he taught it to do it by curses, by black magic, and destroy Israel. So what he did was, he called the prophet Balaam to come to the top of the mountain, and we went over this before, but to curse Israel. So he brought the prophet on top to curse Israel three times. And what happened three times? Notice that King Balak said to him, Balak's, the king Balak's anger was kindled against the prophet Balaam. And he smote his hands together, and Balak said unto Balaam, I called you to curse mine enemies. And behold, you have altogether blessed them these, how many times? Three times. So he had his prophet curse, try to curse Israel, but the three times he tried to curse Israel, he blessed Israel instead three times. Instead. Now what happened next? Numbers 25, verse 1 to 3. Numbers 25, verse 1 to 3. The next chapter. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. So what happened was, the king realized that if God's people are faithful, no matter what curses you throw at God's people, it will backfire. You know, you try and use um, witch doctors or black magic or kahunas to pass spells or curses. If you're faithful to God like Israel... And notice that Israel didn't even know what was going on. They are continuing on their business while they are trying to cast spells upon Israel. But those spells that were being, trying to be cast upon Israel turned around and became blessings for Israel instead. And beloved, if you're faithful to God, God will protect you no matter what kind of evil may be sent your way. Amen? If you're faithful to God. So the king realizing that this 
curses and spells are not worth it, working, what he did was he then had a second backup plan by Balaam's idea to send in beautiful women from his country, from Moab, to go in and to seduce the men of Israel and then through a big feast, a big party, and then had them commit adultery with these women to cheat on their wives and so forth, to commit adultery with these women and then got them to worship these women's idols, the idols of Moab. And he succeeded. And they committed whoredom, the Bible says in verse 1. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. See, this plan worked. For the Bible says that Israel committed fornication, and the women of Moab led Israel stay. And so what and so what the king, God's protecting hand was pulled away from Israel that 24,000 Israelites died by a plague that went throughout the camp. What Satan was not able to accomplish with the strongest of curses against God's faithful people, he was able to accomplish through sexual immorality within the church, which destroyed the church. Husbands cheating on wives, wives cheating on husbands, boyfriends cheating on girlfriends, girlfriends cheating on boyfriends, fiancés cheating with other people. So what Satan was not able to accomplish, he was able to accomplish through sexual immorality. Today he accomplishes his goal the same way. He knows that if he can do this, he would destroy God's church. What happened next? Notice what happened next. Israel was brought to repentance. They realized they'd done wrong. 24,000 of the best, the best, the finest were destroyed by a plague. What happened next? And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned from Israel. And then verse 6, notice what happened. And behold, one of the children came of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. In other words, they realized there was sin, there was sexual immorality, they were cheating on each other and fooling around with others' wives and husbands. They realized what they were doing. And so what they did was they the church fell into repentance and they said, Lord, forgive us. And they were weeping and crying and asking for repentance in front, of the, in front of God. And one person who was arrogant and brash took a Midianite woman and in front of the leaders and in front of the whole congregation, took him in front of the tent and slept with that woman in front of the whole congregation. Boldness and brashness. What happened next? And when Phinehas 7, the son of Elias, or the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation, took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent, and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly, so the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. Don't miss the point. It wasn't until Phinehas took a spear and thrust him through that the plague stopped. And today it isn't until the leaders, those in charge, the spiritual leaders address and teach about sexual morality that the spiritual death that is plaguing our churches 
will be stopped. See, everyone doesn't want to talk about the subject or deal with the issue, but God wants us to follow His Word to be happy. The dangers of sexual immorality. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 to 20. It's right after Acts, then Romans, then 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and then 16 to 20. Why are sexual sins so dangerous or serious in the eyes of God? We're going to look at the reason why is now. Let's see what the Bible has to say in verse 16 to 20. The Bible says, What? Know ye not that, that he which is joined to a prostitute is one body? For the Bible says, For the two shall be made one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So the Bible says, God is ideal is to have sex only within the marriage relationship. Within marriage, sex is beautiful, fulfilling, and creative. Outside of marriage, it is ugly, destructive, and damning. You see, when you have sex with someone, the Bible says, you become one flesh with that person, according to the Bible. And so you have sex with someone who is not your spouse, not only, and you cheat on your spouse, not only have you sinned, but you also become joined with someone who is chosen to sin also, according to the Bible. And notice what the Bible says in verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is without the body. You know, you steal and you lie, that's without the body. But he that commits a, a fornication sins against his or her own body. What? Know ye not that your body, my body, your body, is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The Bible says that our body is a dwelling place or the temple for the Holy Spirit to dwell in my body and your body. And so we are to keep it pure in that the Word of God says that our body is not our own. As Christians, we realize that our bodies are not ours, but is bought from Christ on the cross of Calvary with His expensive blood. He bought you from the service of Satan. Therefore, I don't own my body, and you don't own your body, so we can't do whatever we want to do with our bodies. It is God's body and not ours. Amen? What do we counsel concerning fornication? Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. Galatians, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. What do we counsel concerning fornication? The Bible says, But fornication, or sexual immorality, and all uncleanness, or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. The Word of God says that fornication or sexual immorality should not be once named upon God's people. Now, it can be named out there in the world, but not within the church, because you claim to believe higher standards and morals. The man and woman who embrace the immediate pleasure of sex outside of marriage may think that they're experiencing freedom, but the opposite is true. The tentacles of sin is reaching up and binding them and dragging them towards death. There is no excuses for disobedience to God. God doesn't overlook our sin because it's not as bad as someone else's sin. We can always find someone else or another couple 
who are more disobedient than we are. But the, that doesn't change the reality of our own disobedience. No, it is a sad thing when we see on TV and the news where so-called Christians are being arrested for sexual immorality acts toward other people. And it does give Christianity a bad name when you see in the news this happened and this person did that and televangelists did this and religious leaders did sexual immoral, immoral acts that was illegal even with the government that they had to arrest them and put them in jail. It gives God, especially, not only the Christians, but God, a bad name this morning. God does not excuse sin because of who we are or how good we've been in the past. It doesn't matter if you live sexually pure for 40 years of your life and you decide to have one night of sin away from your wife or husband. That one night of sin is still wrong. And although God loves you no matter what you do, God still hates the act of sexual immorality. I often hear people, you know, and God wants us to be sexually pure, and if we're single, God wants us to wait until we're married in a biblical relationship, circle of a relationship, before we have sex with our husband or our wife on that wedding night. You know, I often hear people say that the fear they have of not having, um, if they're not to have physical relationships before marriage, is because they don't, what they want to have is because they don't want to be clumsy and inexperienced on their wedding night. I hear that a lot actually out there today with the young people. But beloved, our main concern as Christians is not that we are, are that experienced lovers when we get married, but that we are men and women of sexual integrity and purity before God. Amen? Amen. The world has turned sex into a sport to be scored and evaluated like figure skating. And what it lacks in true love, it replaces with an obsession over performance. And what a sad replacement. Who cares if you and your partner can have the ultimate experience if when at the same time you truly don't care about each other, you're never happy, you're always fighting, you're always bickering, you're always complaining, and you're never full of joy. But as long as you have an ultimate experience in the bed, then everything's okay. It doesn't make sense. They're trying to substitute what they don't have with something that with performance to make up for what they're truly lacking, which is a happy, joyful, peaceful home. Isn't that what we all want, beloved, this morning? Amen? We want to have a happy, peaceful, loving, joyful, with kindness and patience and gentleness. That's what we want in our homes. What are the effects of sexual sin? Turn to Proverbs chapter 5, verse 3 to 11. It goes Psalms, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 3 to 11. What are the effects of sexual sin? Proverbs chapter 5, verse 3 to 11. The Bible says, For the lips of a strange woman, or a woman who um, is a player, likes to get cheated on other women's husbands and so forth, or to sleep with a lot of men. For the lips of a strange woman drops his honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil, sweet words. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps take hold on hell. 
lest thou shouldst ponder the path of life, her ways are movable, thou that thou canst not know them. Hear me now, therefore, you children, depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her. Come not nigh the door of her house, lest thou give thine honor unto others and your years unto the crew. Lest strangers be filled with your wealth and your labors in the house of a stranger. See, don't get caught up with the woman, with the man, who sweet talks to you, who's married and wants to sleep with you. And those they may come, the words may be smooth as honey and as smooth as oil. In the end, her paths go on the way to hell. And you live a miserable life. And your years of your money is spent buying a gift that goes to someone else and their home and their marriage and so forth. And it goes on. Is the Bible exaggerating? Is it worth it to go beyond the boundaries of the Bible to commit adultery, fornication? Is it worth it? To go and have sexual fornication before your marriage, is it worth it? Is my question this morning. Just ask Michelle. For 22 years, she saved her virginity for a future husband. She was working as an actress and as a model when she met an attractive man who was determined to steal her virginity. She toyed with him. She loved their attention and affection. Then one day on his ap- apartment couch, she gave in to his advances only once, less than an hour of stolen pleasure. Now he's gone, and she's a single mom struggling to care for her fatherless two-year-old child. Was it worth it? Just ask the missionary in Asia that I just recently I just read about. He was a virgin in his early 30s and two months away from getting married. Just two months. One night inflamed by passion and this tired of always resisting temptation, he made his way to the red light district where all the prostitutes were. In the bed of a prostitute. Only once, just 15 minutes in a dark, dingy room, a moment of indulgence in years of work for God. But he left infected with AIDS. Two months later, he unwittingly infected his bride with, who had so patiently waited for him. He now mourns in anguish for what he did as that dreadful disease now consumes both of their bodies. Was it worth it? Just ask the countless women who maybe didn't have neither illegitimate children or disease, but are scarred with shame and regret. A writer named Deborah Belenick knows too many women who once regarded sexual liberation as good, clean fun, as fun, but who now are reap, reaping bitter results. She describes women who are now married with children, who could not have their husbands touch them or hold them certain ways because it reminded them and brought back memories of their life back in college and in high school of sexual immorality. Was it worth it? Just ask the women who are infertile due to damage from sexually transmitted diseases. Women who undergo biopsies for precancerous conditions due to too many sexual partners. Why don't you ask women like these if it was worth it? Why don't you talk to the married couples who sinned before marriage and who have spent years recovering from the bitterness and distrust is sowed within their relationship? And if all this isn't enough to make the option of sexual immorality vile, why don't you look into the eyes of Jesus Christ this morning? 
He's the only one who knows the depths of God's unmerciful wrath against sexual sin when He took sin upon Him and died on the cross of Calvary. He was cursed and forsaken by His Father. Why do you ask Him if sin was worth it this morning? Above all else, what are we to do? Turn to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Above all else, what are we to do? The Bible says, Keep your heart, guard your heart, with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. What are we to do? Protect your hearts. Guard your hearts. Protect it from those players that want to play you and use you and then throw you out, hanging out to dry. Don't let people take advantage of you and hurt you. In a relationship, that is the most intimate relationship that you can have, that women can come and they can take your heart and they can hurt you. Men can come along your path and they can take you and they can really hurt you this morning. And so as Christians, don't be gullible. Guard your heart. Keep your heart. Keep your affections. Don't let anyone take it and stamp upon them. Keep far away from them, the Bible says. Protect your heart. For out of your heart is the issues of life. In other words, out of your heart is your life. And so the more people take a part of your heart, the more a part of your life is taken away. Your life, your happiness, your peace, your joy. Now I want you to think about it. Don't raise your hand. But how many of you have been hurt by a bad relationship? Just think about it in your mind. In the past. The Bible says keep your heart. Protect it. Don't just give it away to just anybody. Protect it for that we believe in the word of God says Protect it for that one person, your one true love, who are you going to marry in the future? That's the person. Now, I made a lot of bad mistakes because I followed the world's way and how everyone else did it. And the worst thing you can do is be in a relationship where it steals the very heart out of you, your emotions, your feelings, your character, your thoughts. And it steals everything, your life out of you. Until you waste it away, the Bible says. You see, whenever you have sex with someone, you're giving a part of your heart to that person. You become intimate with them. It's not just an act. It's an emotion. It's a spiritual act. That when you have sex with someone, the Bible says you become one. In other words, you share your heart with that person. That person shares their heart with you. In other words, you're giving a part of your life away to that person. So when you have sex with all these different people, you give me a part of your heart to this person, your heart to the next person, your heart to this other person, and you give a part of your life away, a life away, that the, by the time you finally find the man or woman of your dreams that you want to marry, you have given so much of your heart away that you have nothing to give left to give to the one you truly finally fell in love with. I recently read in a Christian book, about a woman who had starred in many pornographic movies, a porn star. Surprisingly, this woman had stipulated in her contract that she would never have to kiss the male actors with whom she had sex before the cameras. 
That's her contract. She said, I'll have sex before with all these men. Now my question is, why would a woman who gives her body to every form of sexual perversion care about a kiss? She said, I'll do everything, anything, but I won't kiss the male actors. How foolish. You see, the woman has felt that since she gave her body to the many men, the one thing that she felt that was left was her lips, which she wanted to save, she said, for her boyfriend. Because she wanted something to give to him that she didn't give to all these other men. She gave her heart in every other aspect, her life, the Bible says. To all. She didn't keep and guard her heart, so she wanted to give the one thing, which was the lips. So she wrote in the contract, I don't want to kiss any of these male porn stars, but I say my lips. You see, when we get married, we want to be able to give to our spouse what we haven't given to anyone else. Amen? What happens when on your wedding night you want to give completely of yourself to your wife or your husband, but you already slept with many different people? What can you give to her that you haven't given to anyone else? How can you prove to her that you really love her? What part of your body has not been caressed by other people's hands already? If like this porn star, you have given your body and your heart away and your life away to so many people, you too may have to come up with something foolish in order to make up for what you cannot give. You know, a lot of young people say today, and that's the question, Christians, Christian, I'm talking about Christian young people, they're saying, how far can I go that it's okay? How far can I go is the question. But the real question is, not how far can I go and give away, but how much of my heart, the Bible says, can I keep and save for the one true love that I'm saving for in the future, my future husband or my future wife? Isn't that the best question? How much of it can I save? So on wedding night, I can say, I save this only for you. No one else can. The Bible says, my garden can touch my garden. But you're the only one I've saved this for. And I'm going to give this for you because you are special. No one else if you give it to everyone, then everyone's special. But what can you give me that you haven't given anyone else? What can you give that you haven't given anyone else? Many Christian young people today are not only asking this question, but they're also not only saving their virginity, but they're also saving many other things. There are even Christian young people who are saying, just like the porn star, they want to save not only their sexuality, but they also want to save their first kiss for the wedding night. This morning, let us make some covenants before God so that we may be men and women of sexual integrity and purity. Turn to pass this paper right here, the pink paper. And we're going to make some covenant challenges on the bottom of the page. We always do this every time. And covenant challenges based upon God's promises to us. In other words, you cannot keep these promises. It's impossible for you to keep them. But God can keep them through you. Amen? He can give you the power and strength to keep them. No man is able to do this without God. Covenant to surrender your life to Jesus every day of your life. Covenant to save your virginity for your future husband or wife, young people. If you have already lost your virginity, or if you have already started to have sex in your relationship, covenant to redeem the time and wait and stop till you get married. Four, covenant to carefully... Guard your heart, keep your heart in order to save it for your future 
husband or wife, or even your present husband or wife. Don't give it away to flirting with any other man or woman or cheating on your spouse. Five, covenant to save as much of your heart and body for your future husband or your wife. There's a book here in the bottom that encourages by Joshua Harris entitled Boy Meets Girl. It talks about sexual purity also in there. I read a story of a boy who wanted to have Christmas every single day of his life. How many young people want Christmas every day? See hands. <laughs> he wanted to have presents every single day of his life. And so, when his wish was granted, and therefore Christmas was granted by his parents every day of his life and was given to him. And for a while, it was paradise for this boy. Every morning, he dashed downstairs, he ran downstairs, and he looked into his stockings, it was all filled up, and he looked under the Christmas tree that he had Christmas every day, and there, there were tons of Christmas presents for him to open. He got excited, he used to rip it apart, and he looked at it, and he was so excited to have Christmas every single day for the rest of his life. But, in a very true story, in a very short time, the celebration lost its joy. There's no longer anything special about Christmas anymore. In fact, he actually began to despise the presents. He had thought that he would find happiness in boundless Christmases, but he ended up hating the entire holiday in the future. See, our bodies and our sexuality is not only a gift from God, but is a gift, a present we are to give to the one we marry. If we open the gift beforehand or even peek inside the present, we'll lose its beauty and uniqueness. And if we impatiently and selfishly have a wedding night, every night, like the story of the little boy, we were like that boy would despise the present an entire special day. This morning, God wants us to experience true intimacy with our spouse, but not only with our spouse, but with Him. The Bible says that, the Word of God says that this is life eternal, that they, we might know Thee, know God, Know God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast. In other words, this same word is the same word that it says in the Bible, God, Adam knew Eve and gave birth to Seth. In other words, is an intimacy. See, God wants us to be so intimately close with Him, beloved, that we are very close with Him, that we love Him, and that we have become one with Him, just as Adam was one with his wife, just as we're one with our wives, the Bible says that God wants us to be so close and intimate with Him in a relationship that we love Him and we stay connected with Him spiritually and we be one with Him. This morning, do you want to be connected with God that you become one with Him? Do you want to be in love with Him that you want to keep His commandments? Do you want to be so surrendered to His Spirit that you'll be obedient to His Word? Do you want to please Him in all things that you will be found faithful this morning? This morning, may the Lord find us faithful. May His Word be our banner held high. May the Lord find us faithful every day, whether we live or whether we die.